This message was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire, a contemporary Christian church in the north of England. Learn more at lifelanks.org. Good morning. My name's Matt, and I just want to thank you for hanging out with us today. And I want to ask you a question. Are you who you thought you would be? Are you where you thought you would be by now? Maybe thinking, I thought I would be married by now. I thought I'd be a parent by now. I thought I'd have got that promotion by now. I thought I'd be in management by now. I thought I'd be earning more money by now. I thought I'd be stronger by now. I thought I'd be fitter by now. I thought I would have dealt with that life-controlling issue by now. I thought I would have got over that niggling challenge by now. Are you who you thought you would be? Sometimes we look at people who've achieved quote-unquote success and we might be impressed or we might take notice that they have reached something that we aspire to. They might have achieved sporting success. They might have achieved financial success. They might have achieved success in their health or their relationships to us. But then we want to ask, that's not enough. Has it changed them? We've all got that story. We've all got that anecdote about that famous person that we met who was really, really down to earth and it hasn't changed them. Or were really, really obnoxious and rude and didn't really seem to have time for anybody. They've changed. Has it changed them? And we seem to want to have both. And we have these two issues in life. We have low self-esteem, which can be self-loathing even. And we have this other issue of pride. And we look at these, and these can seem like two poles in life, two opposites, low self-esteem and pride. But what I've discovered that actually these two things are more connected than we realize. Because actually, behind our pride, when we're most puffed up, when we're at our most grandiose, it's often hiding an insecurity. It's often a projection. It's often something that, that, that is... Is scared and is is fearful and puts on a front. But then at the other side, and I found this in my life too, that hello. That when there's been a, a place where been in, in low self-esteem or maybe you're down on yourself. Maybe there's an element of that self-contempt creeping in. That actually, that itself is a form of pride. Where we look at where we're at and we say, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be like other people. I shouldn't just fall into the same traps as others. No, I should be more than human. We judge ourselves by different standards. Radiohead famously said this, I want a perfect body, I want a perfect soul, but I'm a creep, I'm a weirdo. This is the way that we beat ourselves up and pride and self-loathing are actually connected. And they both find themselves in a phenomena which is absolutely rife in our contemporary society. It's an epidemic. And I think it's just as dangerous And I think it's more prevalent than alcohol addiction or drug addiction. And that is approval addiction. And this morning we're going to think in part five of this teaching series about approval addiction. And I want this image to be seared into your mind this morning. Approval addiction. And we see this 
as we so often do. We see the human condition in this ancient story. And this ancient story is in the book of John, chapter 3. John was one of the eyewitnesses. And later in his life, he wrote about his experiences with Jesus. And John's story goes like this. John 3, verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John, this is a different John. The author is John the Evangelist. The John here is John the Baptist. Now, John was also baptizing at Ainon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. What's going on here? Well, in verse 25, it says there was an argument. It says that there was a certain Jew and there was John's followers. And they developed an argument. And this Jew is asking them, what are you doing? What's going on? Because baptism was a practice which existed at the time. Uh, And for the Jewish faith, what would happen is that um, uh, washing and and using water would be used um, as a cleansing process. So if they had become in some way unclean, which was their ancient interpretation, their ancient way of thinking about religion, if they'd become unclean, so this could happen from stuff like, you touched the carcass of a raven. So you've got to be careful. It could happen because you laid down in a house that had rot in its walls. That made you unclean. So this grew up, and we see this in many ancient tribal societies, that they have this idea of clean and unclean, of of taboo, of what you should not do. And this was their idea of what religion looked like. And they wanted to be clean for God. So if they had become unclean, they had to wash. So what they would do, they would wash in a sort of ritual. They would use water. Then after the water and a period of time, they would then have their cleanliness restored. And they would once again be able to worship and once again be able to interact in community. So this was their practice. Now when it came to the kind of baptism John was doing where he was dunking people fully under the water, he was immersing people in the river, this kind of baptism only used to happen when somebody would convert to Judaism. But what John was doing was something different because John wasn't just baptizing people who were converting to Judaism, he was baptizing Jews as well. So they said to him, what's going on here because this person's Jewish but they're not washing They're actually being baptized. What's going on? And what John was doing, John's baptism was different. This wasn't a repeated thing. This wasn't a ceremonial thing. It wasn't a ritual thing. But John was saying, this is a one-off, decisive moment. This is about repentance, which means to turn around. This means there is a decision, there is a moment when you are deciding to turn around and to purify yourself, not through some sort of ritual, but deciding that you are going to live differently and you're going to prepare your life because everything is changing. This is a moment to get ready because our leader is coming, our Messiah, our prophet who is going to turn our thinking upside down, our priest who is going to connect us to God and our king who is going to be a different kind 
of leader, not like the Roman oppression was suffering under. John's baptism was something different. It wasn't the ritual cleansing that still persists in religions today. You'll know if you've ever been to an airport bathroom and noticed a sign, ritual washing facilities. But John said, no, something new and different is happening. And that's what John's baptism was. And it's also what the baptism that it says Jesus' disciples were carrying out at the same time. But then in verse 26, something happens. You see, John's disciples were dealing with this theological argument. They were arguing about religion. They were arguing about God with this Jew. But when they go to John, when they go to their rabbi, when they go to their teacher, they don't mention that to him. That's not what they're concerned about. They don't want to discuss theology. No, they have a different concern. And the concern in verse 26 is, look, that man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, that's Jesus, the one you testified about. Look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. You see, John's followers had a bit of kudos, have a bit of stardust rubbed off on them because they hung around with John. And John's followers were suffering with approval addiction. I'm going to give you some symptoms and habits of approval addiction so that we can recognize this. I hope you're taking notes. You know, if you go to university and you pay thousands of pounds for your tuition, you think it's worth taking notes. Well, you're giving up something much more valuable today, your time. Because you will never get that back and you will never get more. So you're here anyway. So if you want to take your phone out, take a pad out, take notes. Because you might be able to recognize in approval addiction in your own life. Because I know that I recognize it in mine. You see, approval addiction focuses on lack rather than provision. Where was John? John was at Ainon near Salim. Well, Ainon means springs, and we're told there there was a lot of water. There's abundant springs. And Salim is similar to the word Salem or Shalom. It means peace. So think of this for maybe a Saturday afternoon trip. We're going to go to abundant peace springs. Sounds beautiful, right? So he's in this beautiful place. And people are coming to him. He's got a function. He's got a ministry. He's got a role. He's got an opportunity. He's doing something great for God in a beautiful place. But approval addiction doesn't focus on that. It focuses on lack rather than provision. Because approval addiction stirs up discontent, just like John's followers were doing. Approval addiction makes me more inclined to negative emotional outbursts. Verse 26, John's followers says, everyone is going to him, except they weren't. Because we've just heard that, that um, John was baptizing. So everyone wasn't going to Jesus. We, John's followers are still with him. So everyone must not be going to him. But when we are trapped in approval addiction, it makes us more inclined to negative emotional outbursts. See, approval addiction fosters jealousy rather than gratitude. Instead of thanking God for the teaching of John and the opportunity they had, they were jealous of the success of Jesus. Approval addiction struggles to celebrate others. Do you recognize any of this in your own life? Because we're not really talking about John's followers today. We're talking about you and I. Approval addiction struggles to celebrate others. How do you feel when you're passed over for promotion, but your colleague gets it? 
How do you feel when that person gets success and you were hoping for? How do you feel when that person gets engaged and you feel like you're still on the shelf? How do you feel when that person's getting the attention and you're overlooked? Approval addiction struggles to celebrate others. So what approval addiction does is it it forces us to choose looking good over doing good. Jesus talked about John and he said this. John was this man and he goes out into the wilderness and he attracts large crowds. It's kind of like a music festival. And John's out in the wilderness and he's attracting these large crowds. And Jesus says, well, why is that? Why did all these people go and see John? He says, did you go to see a reed blown in the wind? Like, did you go for the landscape? Or perhaps metaphorically, did you go for somebody who wasn't really a person of conviction? They were just saying, you know, whatever the prevailing wind was, whatever the prevailing atmosphere. Someone just repeating that back to you. No, you didn't go for that. Did you go to see a man dressed in fine clothes? Well, no, you wouldn't have gone into the wilderness. You look for fine clothes. You look for the man who's in the king's palaces, Jesus says in Luke chapter 7. He says, no, you went out to see a prophet. You see, John had a message. He didn't have the coolest clothes. He, he, he wasn't up with the zeitgeist. It wasn't the nicest environment to be in, but John had a message. He had a message that was challenging, that was stirring, that was worth listening to. And he was doing something valuable. But when we're so trapped in approval addiction, we spend so much time in our lives on looking good, that it can actually distract us from actually just rolling up our sleeves and getting on with doing good. It's very hard to do the gardening in your high heels. (laughs) Approval addiction betrays integrity for popularity. I was talking to a, a friend this week who was offered a huge business opportunity. And he turned it down because he says, look, your company is not a company that I use. It's not a company... Uh, that I'm familiar with. It's not a company that I particularly uh, have any association with or any connection with. So I don't want your sponsorship. I don't, I don't want your money. I don't want this opportunity. And he said they just turned on him. They just went and they couldn't understand that when money's involved, when opportunity's involved, why anybody would say no. But you see, when you're so trapped in approval addiction, your integrity will be thrown away at the first opportunity of popularity because approval addiction betrays integrity for popularity. You see, Jesus talks about this in, when he talks about John in, in Matthew 11. Let me read a bit of this because Jesus is rather brilliant here how he analyzes what popularity can look like. And he says this in Matthew chapter 11. And it says in verse 18, John, this John the Baptist, came neither eating or drinking, and they say he has a demon. In other words, John lived this ascetic lifestyle. He, he withdrew. He, his lifestyle was very simple. Um, he fasted a lot. When he ate, he didn't eat the fine foods. And people thought this was strange. He was different. There was something wrong with him. But then the Son of Man, that's Jesus himself, came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. You see, that's the thing about integrity. You can't please people because the crowd is fickle. You see, you, see, you withdraw from food and drink and say, there's something wrong with you. 
But then when you do eat and drink and spend time with people, they say, oh, maybe you're having a bit too much to drink. You can't win. You can't please people. But you see, when you're free from approval addiction, you, ha- you can keep your integrity. And you don't need to betray it for popularity because the crowd is fickle. See, approval addiction does, doesn't understand that everything is a gift. See, because John replied to his followers with this. A person can receive only what is given from heaven. This young man on screen goes by the name of Philip Buchanan. And Philip, from when he was a young man, was always a great athlete. He excelled at many sports. And when he was 18, he got the opportunity to become a professional baseball player, which his mum really encouraged him to take this opportunity. But he didn't. He said, no, mum, I'm more passionate about football. So he went to play college football down in Miami. And this team in 2001 became probably the greatest college football team that there's ever been. And Philip expected to be in the first round of the NFL draft. Now, for those of you not familiar with American sports, this is like winning the lottery. You are in the first round of players that are picked. You're going to get the top contract. You're going to get the top money. You're going to get the top opportunity. And he was ready and waiting at 21 years old to be in the draft. And because he was expected to be in the draft, before he got signed, he took a line of credit out from the bank. And he bought his mom a house and a $40,000 car. Must have been a nice car. So then it came to the day of the draft, and they had a big barbecue at his mum's house, and everybody was excited for him, and his extended family were there, and his friends were there, and they had ESPN on the TV, and the draft came through. And sure enough, Philip was in the first round of the NFL draft. He'd made it. He was set for life. He was so happy. And not only that, he was doing the thing that he loved. And he had his friends and family there with him. And just after, immediately after that announcement, his mum grabs him at this party in their backyard and takes him to one side and says, son, you owe me a million dollars. And Philip says, what, excuse me? And his mum says, yeah, yeah, I'm happy for you and all that, but you owe me a million dollars. And Philip says, what for? And his mum says, for raising you. And the sad story goes that Philip who'd already bought his mum a house, an expensive car, did give her more money, but his mum ended up bankrupt, and he, he, he gave her the opportunity to, to, to buy her another house or give her a little bit of money, but she just wanted the cash and soon frittered that away now. Philip today writes books and speaks to the new rich, to athletes and young people, and shows them how to stay rich and shows them how to avoid these challenges. But the thing about Philip's mum is this. Philip... His mom doesn't understand everything's a gift. I mean, what do we think about this idea? We'll start, your kids can pay you back. I mean, I I'm, uh, just became a dad six months ago. And, I, you know, I think this is a great idea. I've, I, I've been knocking, marking down all the miles, all the petrol money. I've been marking, marking down all, all the clothing, you know. I, I, I'm making, making sure to keep a track of the, the assets. I, I, I'm looking at how many hours I'm spending. And I, I think I'm going to come out really well. But um, I've just realized this means I might have to pay back my dad. <laughs> Maybe it isn't such a good idea after all. You see, we understand that it's all a gift. You pay it forward to the next generation. Your parents raised you. They did the best they could. 
And that's our responsibility. You see, everything's a gift. John said, look, a person can only receive what has been given from heaven. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, what do you have that you didn't receive? Come on, even today, everything's a gift. But approval addiction views other people as customers or competitors. Has an economic mindset. Does that person benefit me? Can they be my customer, my fan, my follower, my friend? Make me look good. Help me with what I'm doing. If not, they're my competitor. They're my enemy. That's what approval addiction does because approval addiction is tied to a contemporary understanding of success. And in our culture, that means the attainment of fame, wealth, or social status. So what approval addiction will do is turn colleagues into rivals. John goes on and says this. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. I'm the best man and it's my best mate's wedding day. It's pretty dumb, like a lot of best men do these days, to try and steal the limelight. Because it's not your day. You're there to help. You're there to attend. But what approval addiction does, approval addiction can't be happy for your friend who's getting married. Because approval addiction turns colleagues into rivals. And John's followers try and set him up over against Jesus. Who's the most popular? When John's message had always been about preparing the way for Jesus. You see, approval addiction will always be tempted by the Messiah complex. There's not a follower of Jesus who hasn't been tempted to put themselves in his place, to take the glory, to take the control, to take the power, to wrestle it back. Approval addiction will always be tempted by that. You see, some leaders have too many followers. How can you have too many followers? Surely that's just a measure of your success. Well, see, there we go again, thinking with an economic mindset. You see, too many followers means this. Too many followers means that when somebody needs helping, you have to be the person to help them. I don't mean, it doesn't have to be a leader on a stage or a leader with a microphone. It can be in your group. No, no, I I need to help this person. Nobody else can help them quite like I do. No one else will encourage them quite the way I do. No one else will support them as well as me. No one else will give them the wisdom that I can give them. And you gather and gather. Instead of releasing people, instead of sharing, instead of bringing other people into community, we can't be the savior of everybody. Only Jesus can do that. So what we need in human relationships is a community of people where we all support each other. No one person, no one spiritual leader, no one encouraging small group leader can be your one person. But we're always tempted by that Messiah complex. Why? Because it feeds our need for approval. Approval addiction will cause me to fail the challenge of praise and success. You know, it's easy to be humble... When you've been humbled. But the Bible calls for us to humble ourselves. You see, we're all humble at that position when we have been brought low. But we need to humble ourselves. And the challenge of praise and success is one of the hardest challenges. What do we do with that praise? What do we do when we make it? How do we handle it? 
Approval addiction will fail that challenge because approval addiction turns the focus on me rather than Christ. But John says, I'm the best man. He's the group. I know my job. What approval addiction does is approval addiction will seek to construct an image and an identity. And it's that image and identity that we don't discover, but in contemporary society, we construct for ourselves that we think will be the thing that will allow us to receive approval from people and feed our need for it. And often this is found in our occupations, certain occupations. Like if you're a medical doctor, I don't know, it just seems to be one of those occupations where everyone says, oh, oh, look, it's Dr. Lucy. Is Dr. Lucy coming tonight? It just seems to be something that if you're a doctor, it becomes so fundamental to your identity in a way that if you're a manager at Tesco, it just doesn't seem to in this, be in the same way. Is, is supermarket manager Brian coming tonight? Nobody really says that. <laughs> and maybe so we don't have a job like that. Maybe you are a manager in a supermarket. So sometimes we have a hobby, like you're the weekend rock star. So everybody knows you as a drummer. That's your identity. Maybe it's a relationship. You're a mum. You know, you've got that mum look. Bags under the eyes. You know, carrying all the paraphernalia. You know, it becomes an identity. Now, if anybody would have their identity wrapped up with what we do, they do, you'd think it'd be this man, John. I mean, we call him John the Baptist. We totally identify him by what he did. But John didn't hold what he did tightly. He held it loosely. He was able to let it go. Because John says this in the final verse we're going to consider this morning. Verse 30. John says this. He must become greater. I must become less. So how do we escape? How do we escape from approval addiction? Like any problem, the first thing is we've got to be aware of the problem. And hopefully some of the symptoms and some of the habits I talked about today will have challenged you the same way it's challenged me. But then we've got to acknowledge that we do have a problem. And this is why often that people who have been humble, people who are in recovery in other areas of their life, have a head start over some of us who think we've got it all together when it comes to following Jesus. You know, if you do AA, the first step is all about admitting that you have a problem, admitting that you're powerless, admitting that you need help. And often many of us don't get to that position because we're so comfortable in our middle class lives. And we need an acknowledgement and awareness that we are facing approval addiction. But something about approval addiction that can help us break the power of it is understanding that approval addiction hangs on to what needs to die. Approval addiction hangs on to what needs to die. You know, every one of us has an ego and that's necessary to a degree to be able to function, to be able to look after yourself. But we need to shave the edges off that ego. We need to let our own inflated idea of ourselves die because self-centeredness will always lead to trouble in our lives. And the paradoxical truth is this, that concern for others actually benefits you. I mean, if we talk about this whole idea that we should be selfless, we should be compassionate. We should be concerned for others. It's like, why? You know, because you say so. Because it says so in a book. Because God wants me to. 
And that just becomes very arbitrary. But what we need to understand is that God loves us and God is trying to reveal something to us about who we are as human beings. God's trying to invite us into something that we will respond to. And this is the reality. This is why you see this thread throughout a number of religions. This is why contemporary psychological research is proving this to be true. Concern for others actually benefits you. But when we're self-centered, it always leads to trouble. You can break approval addiction by choosing to serve. Not help out at convenience. Choosing to serve. Because we are followers of Jesus. So we're called to follow him in this path of death and resurrection. And when we let what needs to die, die, we are then ready for the opportunity of resurrection life. You see, in all of the the other Gospels, apart from John, the synoptics, the words of Jesus are written that whoever wants to save his life must lose it. Paul said in Philippians 3, whatever was a gain to me, I now consider a loss. And as John said here, he must become greater, I must become less. John didn't mean that he would concede victory. He would throw in the towel. Here's a superior opponent that's going to overtake the amount of followers I'm going to attract to my baptisms. So, fair play, the best man won. But John doesn't mean that. You see, God becoming greater, we don't promote Jesus from a distance. John's saying this, in my life, my ego, my self-centeredness, my approval addiction must become less. And Christ in me, What God is doing in me, how God is changing me, must become greater, must grow as I become incorporated into Christ. You see, this is the thread of this whole chapter of John chapter 3 that we've been teaching on over this month. That we believe is the quintessence of this message because it talks about the person who is the quintessential human, Jesus Christ. In this chapter, we see this thread where Jesus said that... When I am lifted up, verse 14, then, verse 15, you receive life eternal. See, this is the key. He becomes greater and we become less. When God begins to be lifted up by what you do, by your intention, when you do everything to the glory of God, he becomes greater, you become less. In that lifting up, that is where eternal life is found. It is from death to life. It is life, it is a new birth, as Jesus explained in the beginning of this chapter to Nicodemus. God wants to birth something new in you by his spirit, and it is that new change. It is not a constant progression, but it is a break. It is something that God is doing. The power of approval addiction is broken by Christ, because Christ has included us in God himself. The band are going to come up and join me. You see, because there's so much teaching in our society, there's so many messages, there's so many gospels. But Paul said this in Galatians 1, if I was still listening to these other false messages and trying to win human approval, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. See, approval addiction, the final thing I want to tell you about approval addiction today is that approval addiction must be replaced by new thinking. You've got a Colossians 3, set your minds on things above. Why? Because you died. So you have to put to death anything that belongs 
to the old self and replace it with new thinking. This is what you can do to break approval addiction. Refuse to identify with negative thoughts. Listen, you can't stop having them. Things are going to pop into your brain. You're going to feel down on yourself. But listen, in that moment, you do not have to identify with it. You can say, no, that's not who I am. No, that's not what God says about me. No, I'm not going to wallow and go down into that place. I'm not going to identify with that. I may think that, yes, of course I will. Because the culture is pushing me and squeezing me and challenging me with this stuff all the time. The thoughts are going to come into my mind. But I won't identify with these negative thoughts. Instead, I'm going to believe what God says about me. I'm already approved. See, we live in a fatherless generation where people without good fathers have never been known that they were approved. And we've got to spread a message that we already are approved. You see, when we break approval addiction, it's like this weight falls off. There's no more image construction. There's no more having to dress up for the camera. There's no more having to pretend anymore. There's no more having to control and manipulate people's opinion of us. You'll feel like a heavy load has dropped off your back when you break approval addiction. See, Jesus said this in Luke chapter 10. When his followers came back and they were so excited by the things that they've been doing, look at what we've done, look at what we've achieved. And Jesus said, that's great, but it's not something to celebrate. Only celebrate that your names are written in heaven. Only celebrate that God knows you. Only celebrate that you're already approved because when you do that, you don't live to be approved, you live from approval. And we've got to change this negative thinking. I don't know if you know who this gentleman is on screen. Maybe if you watched uh, TV on Thursday evening this week, you know who this is. This is Skepta. Any grime fans in the house? Yeah, not so much. But a lot more people know who he is this week than they did before. You see, for a long time, he was an underground artist. In fact, he ended up being dropped by his record label and turned his flat into a warehouse piled up with CDs, trying to do the thing by himself. But he said recently this, I grew up in a society in South London, he's from, North London, sorry, and realized that for everything I was worried about, can you identify with this? For everything I was worried about, I was putting stress on myself. A lot of self-inflicted pain. Once I told myself I don't want money and I don't want to be on the telly and I don't really want an award, I found myself. I was able to be very true and very free. The amazing thing is that this week, an underground artist who most people had never heard of, even when he was competing with David Bowie and all the emotion surrounding his passing, won the most prestigious music award in the industry. He won the Mercury Music Prize, which is for the best British album of the year. This this isn't the one for the, the teenagers and the One Direction fans. This is the award that the real music lovers really want to win. And once he said... I don't want the money. I don't want to be on telly. I don't want to be famous. I don't want an award. What happened? Won an award. I think there's something to that. I think if we start to be a bit more generous with ourselves, we don't start 
judging ourselves with these unrealistic expectations we're putting on ourselves that are fed by the need for approval and addiction. But instead, we have what Jesus called a healthy, a generous eye when we look at ourselves and we look at others. We don't judge people, treating them as customers or competitors, turning colleagues into rivals, having low self-esteem, but we can have a proper confidence that is neither self-loathing nor pride. Because we're just thankful that it's all grace. And in our society, grace is radical and shocking. It turns our economic system upside down. And God wants to do something in us. And and this whole move, and we've talked a lot about you today. But it's not individualistic. It's about the part you play. It's about the part I want to invite you into this morning. It's about God's story from creation to new creation. It's about what he's doing. He has a part and a purpose for you to be involved in what he's doing. And we need to break living for the empire and systems of this world and instead take up the values of the kingdom of God that we can see the kingdom of God established here. We don't live by approval, addiction. Instead, what you can do is instead of seeking your own good, seek the common good. Seek the good of your team your family, your community, your world, your environment, if you seek that good, approval addiction will disappear into the distance. Maybe we could all stand together today. We're going to finish in a moment with a final song from the band. But I want to pray for you. And I think that John may have said something like this. And maybe you can too. That I don't need to be trapped by approval addiction. Because I am who I am. Only in relation to Christ. I don't wish for success anymore. Because I already have hope. My life is not shaped by the desire for the approval of others. Because I've already been included by the grace of God. Discover more about us at lifelanks.org. And stay inspired by subscribing to the podcast via iTunes. Thanks for listening.